Hey, if you're a workplace coach or work in HR or anyone working with challenging conflict situations at work, we've created a coaching method that any coach can learn. The goal of New Ways for Work Coaching is to help employees or whoever is taking it to learn personal relationship skills for productive relationships. Essentially, it gives employees a chance to learn new skills and to change before big decisions are made about their employment. Sometimes they're just lacking skills and New Ways will teach them. If you'd like to know more about it, we offer our New Ways for Work coaching training two to three times a year. And these trainings are a combination of on-demand, which you can watch 24-7, and Zoom training with Sherilyn Knapp and Bill Eddy on the on-demand portions. You'll find the link for this in the show notes below. Sign up at highconflictinstitute.com forward slash upcoming dash courses or email us at info at highconflictinstitute.com. Welcome to It's All Your Fault on True Story FM, the one and only podcast dedicated to helping you identify and deal with the most challenging human interactions, those with someone who may have a high-conflict personality. I'm Megan Hunter, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Eddy. Hi, everybody. We are the co-founders of the High Conflict Institute in San Diego, California. In this episode, we'll focus on whether personality disorders are a form of mental illness or not. But first, a couple of notes. If you have a question about a high-conflict situation or person, send them to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or on our website at highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast, where you'll also find the show notes and links. Please give us a rate or review and tell your friends, colleagues, or family about us, especially if they're dealing with a high-conflict situation. We're very grateful. Now, let's talk personality disorders and mental illness. Personality disorders are, are pretty widespread, but not always seen as a mental disorder. They're listed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders uh, published by the American Psychiatric Association with the most recent publication in 2022 as the DSM-5TR. And in this most recent edition, it indicates that over 10% of adults have such a disorder based on studies from several countries, not just the U.S., These are really huge numbers, yet few people know much about personality disorders, and many do not see them as a mental disorder. Information found online is often misleading, (laughs) Um, but ultimately, many people simply get angry with those with personality disorders, believing that they're just being difficult on purpose and that they really can control and should be controlling their behavior. Likewise, judges generally do not consider them a factor in making legal decisions because they're considered to know right from wrong. However, what we're going to talk about today is whether these views may be changing. Now, when people act strangely, we we do often confront them with their behavior and and tell them to cut it out, knock it off, stop what you're doing. (laughs) But if they have a mental illness, we tend to give them a break or just try to avoid them. So what is considered a mental illness or disorder, Bill? The American Psychiatric Association is kind of has the standard for this. They have the DSM-5, as you mentioned. Basically, their definition 
uh, and you can go to their website, is that mental illnesses or health conditions involving changes in emotion, thinking, or behavior, or a combination of these. Mental illnesses are associated with distress and or problems functioning and social uh, activities, work activities, or family activities. So that's a very broad definition. What people generally think of as mental illness, uh, things like schizophrenia, where the person may have hallucinations, they hear voices that aren't there, or have delusions, they see people that aren't there. Or bipolar disorder, which kind of drives someone to be manic, say, for two or three weeks, they're just buying things, they're not sleeping, they're high energy, it kind of drives them. And then they kind of crash into a depression. That's the other pole of the bipolar, where they may be in a depression for two or three or four months. Um, so people understand that's something driving them, that it isn't like, oh, today I'm going to be manic or today I'm going to be depressed. Likewise, depression. This is maybe the most common form of what's considered a mental illness or disorder, which many, many people experience at some point in their life, but it is included in the Manual of Mental Disorders, and people think of that as affecting their thinking. When someone's depressed, they just have a very negative outlook, and, you know, you can say, cheer up, and they say, what is there to cheer up about? All of that. Likewise, anxiety, that's a really common one as well. And many people have some depression, some anxiety that resolves usually within 60 to 90 days. Say if somebody passes away and you're really sad. So it's not something that sticks, but it may be a short period of time. Some people have, say, a major depression or they have a lot of anxiety and that persists and that may be a little bit genetic tendencies, um, etc., then, of course, there's addictions, and people understand when someone's got an addiction, they often act weird. Driving drunk, just spending all their money on drugs, um, yelling at the people around them that they don't have a problem. So all of these we're kind of familiar with and think of as mental disorders, mental illnesses, and they're all included in the diagnostic manual. So when you see somebody like that, yeah, you may go, well, I'm going to give them a break. They got this this issue they don't totally have control over, or I'm going to steer clear of them because they have this issue they don't have control over. So that's what people generally think of as a mental illness. Then how are personality disorders different from other types of mental illnesses? Well, this is interesting. Before I think it was before 2013, there was what was called AXIS system, that the DSM had AXIS-1, which was the types of mental illnesses and disorders we just talked about, and AXIS-2 was personality disorders, considered a disorder, but of a different type. Now, it's just another chapter. They got about 50 pages in the DSM-5 TR. The TR just text revision, so it didn't change uh, the factors very much. But with that, what happened is personality disorders are just kind of grouped together. There's no access system anymore. 
But generally, you know, this is one of the most common mental disorders, according to the manual, and yet one of the least understood and talked about. And there's reasons for that. Generally, when someone just has a personality disorder and they don't have co-occurring uh, depression, anxiety, bipolar, etc., they look normal. And so, and if you go through your extended family, I think just about everybody has some people with personality disorders, but they may have a good job. They may be very good at something they do. But with personality disorders, it's generally close relationships that that's where that comes out. And people are surprised. Well, that's not a mental illness. They're they're in touch with reality. They're just a jerk. <laughs> and in many ways, personality disorders are interpersonal disorders. And that's that's where their problems show up. So, people tend to think of them as something more normal. However, they are in the manual. However, with that said, so mental health professionals say that's a mental disorder. The average person isn't so sure and thinks they're just a jerk or they have emotional upsets. The legal field, and a lot of our listeners are legal professionals, lawyers, judges, mediators, therapists, and legal cases, it's helpful to know that the legal field has not seen personality disorders as a mental illness that should alter like the kind of sentence a criminal gets or really the kind of parenting plan someone gets or anything like that in a divorce. So, this is good to know is the legal field generally doesn't see personality disorders as a form of mental illness. Then are, are personality disorders a form of mental illness at all or something more normal? What the legal field seems to look at is they think of mental illness as something the person really doesn't have control over. Like someone with schizophrenia, there's there's people that have committed a crime. Maybe they've stolen money or they've assaulted somebody because they thought they were a 300-pound gorilla when in fact it was their child or something like that, that that was a, a hallucination or delusion. And so they go, okay, rather than putting this person in prison for 10 years, we're going to give them something that maybe includes some treatment um, because they have mental illness, that this is a mitigating factor. And that's the term that they often use. So that a mental illness, something you don't have control over, so it's a mitigating factor. And in legal terms, you think of it, you know, Law professors will tell you about mens rea, that's M-E-N-S-R-E-A, which is that you had the thought, the intent to commit the crime. And if you have schizophrenia, they say you can't have the intent to commit the crime, but you did commit a crime. So we got to kind of maybe put you into a psychiatric facility until you're better, things like that. Not guilty by reason of mental illness or insanity. That's the way it's treated by the legal field, that personality disorders, people know right from wrong, they have responsibility, they should be held liable for their bad behavior if they're in the legal system because of bad behavior. So legal system says it's not a mental illness. 
Yeah, such a tricky, tricky area. <laughs> um, was this difference considered in the uh, a case from about 20 years ago that our listeners might remember, um, the, the Elizabeth Smart case? Um, uh, her kidnapper was uh, Mitchell. Um, so was it, uh, was it even considered there? Well, what's interesting is, and this is included in our book, The uh, High Conflict People in Legal Disputes, and we teach that at some law schools. And yes, the court considered whether he was competent to, to stand trial. If he had a mental illness that interfered with his ability to think, communicate, etc., then that would be a mental illness that would make him not capable of standing trial. What's interesting in this case is they found that Brian Mitchell did not have a mental illness, according to those terms. They found that he had two personality disorders, antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. And in many ways, he was a con artist. He pretended he was a pious religious person. They would walk around the streets in white robes. He and his wife and Elizabeth Smart all covered up so they couldn't see who was who. And he pretended to be religious. But what Elizabeth said is when she had them alone away from the public, he wasn't religious at all. And so what, what came out in that case is they say, Mitchell does not presently suffer from a mental disease or defect. And therefore, they considered that he, uh, he has an ability to consult with his lawyer in a reasonable degree of rational understanding, so he's competent to stand trial. So they saw him not having a mental illness because he had these personality disorders instead. Wow. It's fascinating. <laughs> it, it really is, because what's going through my mind is all of, you know, how I look at, at you know, folks with this high conflict personality. And it's, it's this, I see it as an operating system that, you know, this person doesn't know they have. So they're driven by something entirely different. And um, it just looks, it looks different from, uh, say, schizophrenia. Um, but even in this Mitchell case, though, walking on white robes covered up, <laughs> that lo definitely looks a little different as well. So um, interesting. How about the Unabomber case um, in the 1970s through 90s? Uh, was, were personality disorders considered in that case? In a sense, they, again, saw a difference here. Now, what happened is they had, he was evaluated by several different people. But the first, um, I believe, psychiatrist that evaluated him said that he had schizophrenia. And therefore, the prosecution was afraid that if they prosecuted him in a trial, that there might be a reversal or an acquittal or a mistrial because of his mental illness. And so they, they wanted to avoid a trial if possible. And what they did is they offered him life in prison instead of the death penalty if he would plea bargain and, and never get out, that it was life in prison with no chance of parole. Because of their fear that a trial with his mental illness would, would blow up and he might go free. Oh. So what happened is he accepted 
their offer, and therefore he's in prison for life now. But what's interesting is some other psychologists also interviewed him and said he doesn't have schizophrenia, he does have control, and that he probably has paranoid personality disorder. Because what they said is his multi-decade bombing spree, because he's over 18 years, was sending these bombs in the mail, says, quotes, was a product of measured consideration, close quotes, not uncontrollable impulses. Hmm. And statements he made showed that he thought that this violence was appropriate and that technological progress was evil, and therefore he was going to try to help stop that. But he had many years, he was very organized. And if he had schizophrenia, they're saying he wouldn't have had control, he would have had impulses that that were more short-term. But this showed he had time to think about this, and that he had rational thoughts, and that he knew what he was doing was legally wrong. Wow, I'm absorbing <laughs> and, and thinking. <laughs> These are, it's just such a big, big topic. I, I started thinking about problem-solving courts and mental health courts, and, uh, you know, should there be personality disorder courts? <laughs> It's, I mean, com- it's, it's coming in a sense because I think as personality disorders get more attention, people are starting to go, well, wait a minute, this does affect their thinking. You know, I mean, sending bombs through the mail because you don't like technological progress, that's, there's something wrong with that thinking. And yet it's not like he didn't think they were a 500-pound gorilla. He knew they were people and they were getting injured and he had a plan. So I think what you're talking about, problem-solving courts and stuff, it really do make sense with people who have some of these thinking problems, but in many ways are effective people. They can hold jobs. They can have relationships. They have difficulties in close relationships, but they can learn skills. I mean, that's a lot of what we do is teach skills so that people can have good relationships, even if there's some of this uh, in the family. Yeah, and it brings to mind, you know, medication as well. I guess it might be in sort of a, a built-in assumption, I guess, that uh, a mental illness can be treated with medication, where with personalities, uh, personality disorders, the the treatment is not medication. It, it is skills, as you said. Um, so I, I I think that is that would probably go against uh, the legal system. Um, viewing someone with a personality disorder as truly mentally ill. Yes? Yeah. In other words, people with schizophrenia, they go into, say, a psychiatric uh, hospital or or a psychiatric um, prison and take medication, and suddenly they're more reasonable and cooperative and such. Well, that doesn't happen with personality disorders. They're this is um, it's like learning a whole new language and culture mm. for them to change. Yes. It isn't a chemical imbalance as much as the the ingrained habits, patterns, thinking. And that's why like DBT, dialectical behavior therapy for borderline personality can be so effective 
but only over time. People have to learn new ways of managing their emotions and changing their thoughts about things and treating like anger proportionally because people with borderline tend to be all or nothing with anger and learning what's a smaller amount, what's appropriate to the situation. So people with personality disorders can learn in many cases, but someone with schizophrenia, the issue is pretty much chemical and medications is the primary treatment for that, um, not even counseling. Counseling may help manage daily life, but it's not a treatment for schizophrenia where it can be a treatment for some personality disorders. Mm, okay. Uh, so kind of something has happened in the past couple of years that was uh, uh a big departure from the norm, um, which is a landmark case in Australia, came out in 2020, that really may indicate a change in thinking about personality disorders in criminal cases. Not in all legal cases, but but at least in criminal. So I, I recall it had to do with, uh, I think, someone with a borderline personality disorder diagnosis and a fire. And so what did what was that case about and what did the Court of Appeals decide there? Yeah. So this is really the first big case that I've seen that takes this new approach. And this is from 2020. And for our friends in Australia, this is the Brown case, which my law students in Australia know well, because some of them have written about it in their papers. Um, but the Brown case, uh, Brown was a young woman who she was an adult, she was 19, and she'd been in a treatment center and liked being in the treatment center, but she aged out. And so what she did is one, I think it was a Sunday morning, she went around, and, and this might have been Melbourne, because this is the, this Melbourne's in the state of Victoria, and it was the Victoria Supreme Court that made this decision. So she went around, maybe Melbourne, and started fires. She started fires in buildings that were, no one was there, no one was hurt. Um, but the last place she started the fire, she just sat in front of it and waited to be arrested. And what she wanted was to be arrested and sent back to her treatment center. <laughs> and so th there's a logic in that, I suppose, but it's that, that distorted logic that people with personality disorders have. They put a spin on things. So they're kind of in touch with reality, but see it in an extreme, more extreme way. So she... She was arrested and convicted and I think received like an was supposed to get like an 18 month prison sentence. And the judge said, that's just not right. That's not what this person needs. She has a personality disorder. She doesn't have schizophrenia. She doesn't have uh, bipolar disorder. Apparently she has a personality disorder. And I think you may be right that it was borderline. Um and most people with borderline personality disorder are not uh, setting fires and doing things like that. So it's important people know that. There's a whole kind of range. So this was pretty extreme. But the judge said, I want to see her in something that has some treatment included. And so, so he went against uh, a many-year standard when criminals had been 
uh, openly told that personality disorder that they had was not going to be considered in their sentencing. And so they got harsher sentences and no no treatment. So the Victorian uh, Supreme Court upheld that judge's decision and basically overturned the precedent of not considering personality disorders. And here's here's what they said. They basically concluded that an offender diagnosed with a personality disorder, quote, should be treated as in no different position from any other offender, close quotes, relying on an impairment of mental functioning as a mitigating sentence. Now, it's a case-by-case, and they often want mental health testimony. So they're not not everybody can come back and say, okay, well, I have a personality disorder, change my sentence. It's more like, yeah, if you really have the right situation and and treatment may be appropriately part because there's people with like antisocial personality disorder where treatment just may not be in the picture at all and they just really need to be uh, locked up with society protected from them. So, but this is a shift and I haven't seen it yet in the U.S., but I have a law school class in the U.S., so they may find um, if this changes one of these days. So I think, I think personality disorders are going to be something people start understanding more. What about there, wasn't there some research that came out of California, I think family courts about narcissism, narcissistic personalities? Yes, yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because in family courts, they don't like to hear about personality disorders because they just want to know how's this person's parenting. And so if you say, well, my wife's got borderline personality disorder, she should never be around the kids. Or my husband's got narcissistic personality disorder, he should never be around the kids. So they don't want to consider that. However, this uh, study was done and published um, in a, a, a journal, family, um, family Law Journal, uh, saying that narcissistic personality disorders were driving a significant number of family law cases and that professionals, lawyers, judges, etc. need to start looking at how to treat them differently. And so this is now uh, another area where we're looking at that. And I forgot about that one, so I don't have it at my fingertips. But Rosenfeld was the lead author in that um, uh, article and that study. And I think... I think family law may be getting closer to considering personality disorders just to understand them, not to make the decisions particularly different. But a difference would be if they realize someone has a personality disorder, you can't just give them a lecture and have them behave differently. And that's, I think, where family courts need to go, is they need to understand who can change and who can't change. 
and that's usually a pattern of behavior. And if if people present the pattern of behavior that goes with a personality disorder, they don't even need to say the personality disorder. They can just say, Your Honor, this behavior has continued uninterrupted for the last 10 years. A lecture is not going to make it better, and this parent needs to have far less time than a parent that shows flexibility and reasonableness. We'll see. Yeah, and you think about, you know, the the return on that would be, uh, I think, pretty significant in terms of, of how the, the children <laughs> fare throughout their, their uh, the, the co-parenting years and um, if their parents could get some skills, even though they're divorced, right? Even if they had these skills and could improve their parenting, it would... Uh, have have uh, a ripple effect throughout society, really. So, well, this has been really fascinating, Bill, and um, I know it's you've done a just so much research in this area and read everything there is <laughs> to read out there. So it's 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 really great to have this conversation. Uh, now, this is the part where we usually announce next week's topic. However, we have an announcement to make. We are actually going to take a little bit of a break, um, a hiatus for a few weeks to get some vacation time and self-care in. (laughs) Uh, We both work pretty hard, but uh, as I'm sure all of you do as well. But we'll be playing our most popular episodes during our hiatus. uh, So just keep listening. We're not stopping. We'll just have a few of those ones that are pretty popular uh, played again. And then when we start the new season, we'll have some very interesting surprises in store, and it's just going to get better and better. Keep on sending your questions. We'll keep answering them, um, and maybe we'll answer even more next uh, season. Send those questions to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or submit them to highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast and tell all your friends about us. And we'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. The reviews I've seen so far have been really fantastic and we're grateful, very grateful for those and grateful for you, our listeners, to to take the time to learn about what we have to talk about. It is really important for humanity, in our opinion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, until we're back from hiatus, have a great summer if you are in our part of the world and have a great winter if you're in the Southern Hemisphere and keep learning about high conflict behavior so you can manage it in your life and keep striving toward the missing piece. It's All Your Fault is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Wolf Samuels, John Coggins, and Ziv Moran. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at truestory.fm or highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Our show.